Welcome to Doctors of Tomorrow 56 podcast, a medical podcast for anyone ranging from middle school students to attending physicians and for anyone interested in learning more about the medical field from all around the world. Welcome to this very exciting episode. Today we have a OBGYN. So without further ado, we introduce Dr. Rankings. So first of all, thank you so much, Dr. Rankings, for your time. And we hope you're having a wonderful day. Thank you. I am having a wonderful day. At what age did you know you wanted to pursue medicine? Uh, Actually, I didn't know that I wanted to pursue medicine until I was 20... 20, 20 years old. Actually, in college, uh, I majored in math and mechanical engineering. I just always liked math. It was one of my favorite topics. Probably my favorite in high school was um, probably my favorite topic in high school was math. And then um, so that's why I decided to major in math and then decided to I could get an engineering degree, but just by going an extra year. So I did both of those things. And it wasn't until... Um, almost, I was almost through my engineering degree that I got an interest in medicine. Okay, so where did you go for undergrad? And you just said your major. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I went to undergrad at Spelman College, which is a historically black college in Atlanta, Georgia for women. And I did, I also went there for three years. And then actually in between that, um, I went, I studied abroad for a year in Kenya so I did that for a whole academic year. And then I came back and completed my engineering degree at North Carolina a t State University, which is another historically black college. And that is in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. So where did you go for medical school? Yeah, so I went to medical school at Eastern Virginia Medical School, which is in my home state of Virginia. So uh, it's in Norfolk, Virginia, actually not far from where I grew up. Oh, okay. So um, where did you go for residency? So after I left um, EVMS, I did my residency at Duke University Medical Center. That is in Durham, North Carolina. So as you can see, I stayed pretty much on the on the East Coast for most of my, my life. So I did my residency training at Duke, and that was four years for OBGYN. And then actually after that, I did a research fellowship at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill just down the street, and that was two years. Wow. Okay, so um, what did you do to prepare for medical school? Yeah, so that was probably one of the most um, challenging um, times, you know, kind of figuring all of those things out because I wasn't a traditional medical school student and I didn't start out as pre-med. I didn't decide until later that I was going to go to medical school. So, um Really, the biggest thing that I would say in preparing yourself for medical school, and this is going to prepare you like whatever you end up going, because you don't always know where you're going to go. You you think you have an idea and you follow one path and then it kind of twists and turns. Like I never would have imagined that this is where I would necessarily be. The biggest thing is to just focus on your academics and really have a strong foundation in Uh, grades will open up all kinds of doors for you. When you have that strong foundation in your academic work, then that will always be a way for you to get in the door pretty easily. So um, I always made sure that my grades were good and that allowed me to make that pivot fairly easily. 
so that I was still able to get into medical school the first time that I applied. It, it was still a challenge and I still had, you know, I didn't get into every school that I applied to for sure, but uh, but I was able able to go. So definitely for sure, just keeping that door open is was really, really important. The other thing that's important, and you kind of realize that maybe in hindsight, is developing good study habits because there's just a lot of information that you have to learn. Now things are changing in just the way we learn things, period, because I've been a doctor now for, I've been on a residency for 15 years, <laughs> a little bit of a while ago. So it, it used to be a lot of, of memorization and just like learning data. But now that we all carry computers around in our hands, we don't need to memorize data as much. We have data at our fingertips. So really we're taking things to that next level of critical thinking and understanding and interpreting information. So I would say for folks now at, at younger stages that it's really important that you learn critical thinking skills and you learn how to question things uh, and, and how to apply the data and information that you have to a specific situation. So much of medicine was that we were the gatekeepers of information. Patients couldn't look up things that, you know, we, we, we had all that information and now that has completely changed. So really you need to learn critical thinking skills. Also, um, I would say, um, interpersonal skills are important because a lot of it is just, uh, how you interact with people. And then probably the third biggest thing is knowing how to take in new information, grow, adapt, and change. So the things that happen in medicine, some things that don't get implemented, new things, new updates for sometimes 15 years because we're so slow to make changes. So being able to continue self, continue self-education, you have to keep learning. It's not that you finish medical school or residency and you're done. You continue to learn and you have to continue to be open to adapt the way you practice change in order to make sure you're taking the best care of your patients yes but for example with like COVID, nobody expected that so you have to like um look over everything and like be prepared for anything that's yeah that's a perfect example none of us knew what would happen <laughs> we all had to very quickly learn and adapt and figure things out I and mean, when you had that skill ahead of time it just makes it so much easier when you, to call upon it when you need it Yes. Okay. So, um, what did you enjoy the most about medical school? The clinical part. So, the least part that I didn't like. I don't know if that's a follow-up question that I didn't like was like the class, like the class and book stuff. Like the first two years, you're just learning and memorize a lot of stuff. A lot of it that you don't necessarily use later on, and it doesn't necessarily feel applicable. So that part wasn't as fun. The clinical piece, when you're actually in the hospital and you're in offices and you're starting to actually take care of people, that is the part that is the most fun. And I would say my favorite was Uh, my fourth year of medical school, you got opportunities to choose electives. So I knew that I wanted to go into OBGYN, but you could do some different things just to kind of like, if you wanted to explore something different for six weeks, you could do that. So that was a lot of fun having that opportunity. So like, for example, I did a six week rotation in the medical examiner's office 
and learning what happens when people die and autopsies and how to figure those things out. Not something that I wanted to spend my whole career doing, but it was so interesting to, to, to do it then. So that would say I would probably be the clinical part and then that ability to do a little bit of exploration into some things that were interesting, but not quite what I wanted to do. Wow. Because like you got like a sense of like how like how being a doctor is. Okay. So um, yep. So why did you choose to become an OBGYN? Yeah. So I knew that I liked doing something with my hands. So I wanted to do something like operating that kind of thing. And I also knew that I liked taking care of women. I initially, I, I, I went back and forth in my mind between general surgery and specializing in maybe like breast surgery or something more related to women uh, versus OBGYN. And I ended up going with OBGYN for a couple reasons. One, <laughs> in general surgery, like I would have had to take, not that there's anything against male patients, but I would have had to take care of male patients and I just didn't like. <laughs> I got connected with them as well. And then I had instances, you know, this wasn't common, but like people like hitting on you and things like that. And I was just like, I don't, I can't, I don't want to deal with that. And I love OBGYN because it had, there's so many facets of OBGYN. It's a big umbrella, but underneath it is you can specialize in just delivering babies or you can specialize in, in doing pelvic surgery and um, doing just sort like laparoscopic surgery, or you can specialize in doing gynecology cancer care. And actually, when I went into OBGYN, I was intending to be a gynecolo gynecologic oncologist, which is a uh, surgical oncologist who takes care of women who have gynecology cancers, like uterine cancer or ovarian cancer, cervical cancer. Like I was 100% committed to that and then ended up changing my mind. And now all I do is deliver babies, so I'm like on the complete opposite side. <laughs> but um, that was the one of the beauties that could open up a lot of things. Some people just stay in the office and do office gynecology or office OBGYN. So that's why I loved it. I get to take care of, of women. And, um, it's just very versatile in what I get to do. Wow. Like, I can't imagine, like, helping, like, deliver a baby. Like, were you ever scared, like, at first that you might do something wrong? Are you kidding me? The very first time that I delivered a baby, I held the baby so tight because I was so afraid I was going to drop the baby. <laughs> and the other nurses and doctors that were with me were like, you have to let go of the baby. <laughs> I was just terrified that I was gonna like drop this poor little new human being. So absolutely, I was scared that I was gonna do something right. But at this point now, I've delivered over a thousand babies. And even then, the, the, the joy of it never gets old. It is not, you know, it's always such a privilege to be part of this experience with families and seeing a brand new person come into the world. So how many years did it take you to become an OBGYN? Yeah, so um, normally it takes four years of college. For me, it was six because I did that extra year. That year that I studied abroad was extra. And then I had the extra year to get the engineering degree. So that was six. Totally well worth it. And then four, um, four years in medical school and then OBGYN residency is four years. What do you do when a patient is nervous about giving birth? 
That's a very good question. Most people are nervous about giving birth. So back in the day when people had babies, it used to be different. Actually, in the early part of the 1900s, most people gave birth at home. They didn't give birth in the hospital and they gave birth with midwives at home. So because of that, women had seen birth they had been around birth before so it wasn't foreign to them they had they had seen it and experienced it before because their sister or their mother or their cousin you know everybody gave birth at home but then as birth moved into the hospital we got into this which has its pluses and and, and minuses now that birth is more so in the hospital people don't see what birth looks like and it's nothing like what's on tv it is nothing like what's in the movie <laughs> so you have to first acknowledge that it is quite normal to be scared when you think about giving birth. It's a new thing. You haven't done it before. So I always assure people that like it is normal to feel that way. And then one of the best ways to help combat that is to educate yourself. So definitely I recommend childbirth education so you are prepared and know what to expect. But so much of it is in the moment, just sitting and talking to that person being patient, answering their questions, helping them know that you are there to support them and help them get through this experience, not just physically, so not just like you're physically healthy and your baby's physically healthy, but that you're mentally healthy as well. So in a more holistic way of making sure that we take care of both the mom and the baby through the birth process. And that just takes a little bit of, um, you know, sit down, time, talk to folks. And it's not a lot. And patience and just reassuring folks that you're there there to help them. Pardon psychosis. I'm grateful that I have, that is actually very rare that that happens. I have seen it happen in my 15 years twice. And um, that is one of those weird things that if left untreated can be devastating for moms. And there was one story, it's been several years now, you know, about a mom who had postpartum psychosis and she killed all of her children. That doesn't happen very frequently, but there's certainly a risk factor for it. We've gotten much better about taking care of moms and after they have a baby in our society in the US, we 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 still have work to do, but a lot of it, a lot of it somebody kind of likened it to like the baby mom is the wrapper and she's carrying the baby with the, you know, the candy inside of the wrapper. And then once the candy's out, the, the prize, then we've kind of thrown the wrapper <laughs> away. And now we need to do better about making sure that we take care of moms. So we do a lot better about checking in with moms and their mental health to prevent those types of severe things and normalizing that not everything is roses necessarily after you have a baby. And that is, it, it, you may have some feelings if you feel this way. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a bad mother. Um, so I think we've gotten better about making sure those types of severe things don't don't happen. We still have a little bit of ways to go, like I said, to support folks postpartum, but we're getting better. Well, I'm glad to hear since like you you um, mentioned that like it's getting better. Okay, so in your opinion, what skills are needed to become an OBGYN? I would say. And honestly, I think a lot of this applies to whatever whatever field you end up being in. Um, for OBGYN in particular, obviously 
for whatever you choose. You just have to have a love for it. You you cannot go through all of that training and then like not like what you do. So definitely don't choose something based on like what it's going to pay you or anything. Like you have to choose it based on what you actually enjoy. So you have to love caring for women or birth or or people just you know in general. So I would say that. And then number two. Um, for OBGYN in particular, we have some challenges in the way that we care for, for women. A lot of it is in the backdrop of our society and that we don't necessarily uplift the rights of, of women and women for a long time were second class citizens, so to, so to speak. So you have to be ready to, I think we should all be ready to come in to have some element of advocating for women's health and advocating for women's rights um, to make decisions about their health for themselves. So I do think you have to have some element of wanting to support and uplift women's health. I think that, that we should all have that if we're if we're within OBGYN. And that doesn't mean you have to go out and be like a political advocate. Um, I have done that in some respects, like testifying in front of political, you know, in front of government and things like that. You don't have to. It's even just how you interact with your own patients. You have to be an advocate for them. So I think that that's really important in terms of going into OBGYN. OBGYN is a fairly competitive specialty on the range of specialties. So definitely make sure you have your grades and your your testing scores in, in order as well. Wow, I'm like, I can't imagine like going and like um testifying for like women like that's just like wow. Yeah, that's one of the things that has become important to me is advocating because so much of, of change that happens in our system happens at a political level, and um and part of that is me using my voice and my expertise in that way to advocate on a political level if need be. So I've, and for, my, for the state, I've testified in, a couple of a, in, in front of a couple of state committees on topics that are related to birth control that are important. I've done lobbying things in Washington, D.C. This was pre-COVID, of course, um, where I, I, you know, um, our, our specialty has a lobbying conference every year where we lobby in Washington, D.C. So for me, that's an important piece of being a part of you know, using my expertise and my knowledge to help support women is is doing that type of work as well. Okay, so um, how would you describe being an OBGYN is like to someone like that doesn't have like any like idea of what, like what OBGYNs do? Yes, so that is, it can really be so different. So if you're an OBGYN who's in the office, and you work at say, um, and you work in a, in, there's different like settings of the office. I will say there's like academic or sort of medical school settings. And then there's like more community settings. So if you're in a community setting, you may come in in the morning, it may be early, like seven, between seven, seven thirty. see any patients that you have in the hospital. Then you may be in the office all day. If you have any patients who are in labor, during the day, then you make run from the office to come do a delivery during the day. Um, and then you usually wrap up around five or o'clock or so. And if you're on call that night, then you may need to stay in the hospital that night in order to take care of any people who go and labor during the night because babies come whenever they come. 
And then if you're on call and you're up during the night, you may or may not have to work the next day. It depends on the structure and practice of your your office. Um, you may have, and so that may be one day. You may have another day where you're operating all day. So you're doing like gynecology cases, like a hysterectomy, removing the uterus, or removing a cyst from the ovaries. So you may have a day where you're doing half a day of surgery and then half a day of office. It can really just depend. You can expect to be on call where you have to potentially come into the hospital anywhere roughly from mm, every four to five nights or so. And it really just depends on the practice. Sometimes it's longer than that. And I actually don't work in the office. I do something that's fairly new in OBGYN. I'm an OBGYN hospitalist. So I work only in the hospital. So those doctors who are, you know, instead of doctors being on call, I'm essentially like the on-call doctor for whoever is there and for all of the practice, different groups of doctors that deliver there. So I work 24-hour shifts at a time, and I do that seven times a month, and the rest of the days I have off. So I work those seven days, and then usually it takes me the day after to recover, <laughs> or after the day after to recover. And then the rest of the days I have free time and open time to do other things. So that is a growing field in medicine where we have people who just work in the hospital, people who just work in the office, people who just do a lot of surgery. So it really just depends for, for OBGYN. And there are a lot of different variations of how it can go. So in your opinion, what would you say is the most challenging part about being an OBGYN? A lot of people, it's tough to have that on-call schedule. Like you're, you're, you're juggling a lot of things. So you could be, you know, you're in the office and you have patients that are waiting for you in the office. And then if you have, and you could have a full schedule, then you have someone who's in labor, you got to run over and, you know, for the birth, and then you may end up getting behind in the office, so then you have to catch up at night on the notes and things like that. So I would say the most challenging part is that you may have to balance a lot of different pieces. There are things being done within the specialty in order to make that balance more reasonable so you're not being pulled into different places. Having OB hospitals, like what I do is part of that. So you can at least know that you don't have to be up at night. It's going to be me who's up at night by choice because I like my schedule. <laughs> so um, and then so you can at least like get some sleep, you know, so those kinds of things. So we're working on things to make it better. But I would say right now, the biggest challenge is you can be pulled and and lots of different places at the same time. So what advice would you give to someone considering becoming an OBGYN? I would say definitely just, you know, if, if it's something that you're interested in, then, then go for it. I would say that you for sure need to, I think you need to just kind of pay attention to, to, to women's health things and understand it. And one of the big things in our specialty is right now is maternal mortality and the racial and ethnic differences, how black moms are three to four more times as likely to die during childbirth compared to white women. And it's not related to education. My risk as a highly educated black woman is, is about the same as a, a high school graduate white woman in terms of our risk. So it's not that education protects you from it. So just 
coming um, to a reckoning of some of those things. So just you know, keep an eye on the things that are going on in medicine and women's health, if that's something that you're interested in. Really right now, it goes back to what I said earlier. The most important thing is to stay focused on your academics because it is those grades, it is your GPA that will open up doors for you. Not that it's not possible if you don't have good grades because some people do have instances where they they you know, they can do other things and activities or they have to repeat or, or apply again, those type of things. But really, if you get if you are out the gate with good grades, because that's an easy thing that people compare. They can line that up and just, you know, you're too low. You can't those kinds of things. It's an easy cutoff that people use, whether it's right or not. But if you have that that foundation and that's more important than extracurricular activities a, a poor grade like extracurricular activities do not make up for poor grades when people have a lot of extracurriculars and poor grades it's like you should have stopped doing the extracurriculars and you should have been studying instead <laughs> so you want to focus on that academic foundation it just helps to open um, so many possibilities for you how do you see OBGYNs changing in the next 10 years Yes, I very much so. I believe OBGYN is going to become a bit more focused in terms of how you practice. So especially like in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s even, you, you, you kind of did a little bit of everything as an OBGYN, like you delivered babies, you did gynecology surgery, you may um, do surgery for like incontinence if you're like leaking those kinds of things so you 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 worked in the office you did all of the things but now OBGYN is definitely going to start tracking folks to different pathways so you're going to have hospitalist OBGYNs like me so I'm quickly becoming a specialist in inpatient OB, OB medicine mostly on labor and delivery and delivering babies then you have high-risk pregnancy specialists who are just in the office and they do like ultrasounds and consultations. They very rarely deliver babies. They don't, um, they don't actually do any deliveries. Then you'll have gynecology surgeons who focus exclusively on gynecology surgery. And part of that is because we have more and more data that in order to keep your surgical skills up, you have to do more surgery. So you have to kind of special you can't be doing babies here and then doing some surgery there you in order to become really specialized and good at surgery and in order to provide the best care to patients so it's going to specialize into high-risk obstetrics office high obstetrics in the hospital gynecology surgery where all you do is gyn surgery and then probably gyn cancer surgery so i think it's oh and there's also infertility that's a that that's another subspecialty right now so i think we're going to have those tracks pretty clear. There'll also be some people who only work in the office and do office OBGYN as well. Okay, so um, what do you love about being an OBGYN? Yeah, I just, I love, again, oh, I love to care for women. I love the, the variety. Uh, and even within the fact that all I do now is deliver babies, I still have some variety in, in what I do. And I also have the opportunity, like I haven't been able to do it in the last 
a couple years or so, a lot, a lot of it, some family stuff, some pandemic stuff. I volunteered at a free clinic and just did gynecology care. So I could still do that if I wanted to. So um, I love the flexibility of it. As I said, it never gets old to be part of birth. I love the fact that on labor and delivery, things, things happen fairly you know, things are moving. It's not a slow process. And you, you, it's also mostly joyful. Yes, there are instances where things don't go well. Unfortunately, birth is an unpredictable process and sometimes they're not, outcomes aren't what we want. But in general, it's a, it's a joyous and, and happy field um, to work in. So I, I, I love all of those things about it. Wow. Okay. So, um, do you have any tips for our listeners for the future? Hmm. I would say, like I said, other than making sure you stay good on your academics, be another important thing to do is um, is be intentional about taking care of yourself. Especially in medicine, or I'd say in general, professional careers, you can get sucked up into, like, I have to hustle, and I have to do all the things, and I have to be everywhere for everybody, and I can't say no, and all of those type of things. You have to really be intentional about self-care. It's actually not selfish in order to take care of yourself. When you do that, then you're able to give more of yourself to other people. Burnout is a big problem in medicine where people are getting burnt out from working too much. And um, part of that is the system and the way the system happens. But part of that is that you just feel this like constant, you got to go, you got to go, you got to do all the things. So get good about taking time for your self. And so self-care is important. Uh, another one is have some quiet time where you're away from your social media, you put your phone down, you disconnect for a bit. Quiet time to just even like take a walk or journal, like old school journaling or um, meditation or exercise. Take some quiet time to kind of disengage, creating that white space in your life, getting that habit early. I, you know, I wish I would have had that habit early. You'd be surprised, like, the thoughts and the things and the ideas that will come to you in those moments or even later, just when you take that time to just disengage and, and form that, that, quiet, that quiet space. And then uh, the final tip I would say is to, is to be, your, be yourself. Be your authentic self. Especially, I think, for um, marginalized communities, we've always been taught or, you know, that you have to change who you are or adapt who you are to fit into this environment so that you can succeed. And what my generation has found is that that doesn't work. People will still like you know, discriminate against you or do the thing. Not that it's all the time. So, but it happens. So instead of trying to fit yourself into this mold, you be yourself and the people around you need to, need to know how to accept who you are. And I think we're getting there, but don't, don't change yourself in order to fit into someplace else. Be who you are, bring your authentic self. When you do that, that's when you feel the best about yourself. That's when you do your best work. So just 
just be yourself. Don't try to turn it into, oh, I have to do a certain thing or be a certain way in order to be a doctor. Just be yourself. Wow, that's like, that's the best piece of advice that anyone can receive, especially from like doctor and like someone that already like went into like the path and like succeeded at the end. Yeah, 100%. I mean, even part of what I do now is not exactly like what I anticipate. Like in addition to practicing, I have a very active social media presence. Um, I like I have 11,000 followers on Instagram. I have an online childbirth class. I have a podcast. All of that came from me wanting to be of service and me just being myself. And maybe, you know, it's for so long I felt in the field like you're supposed to be a certain way and when you let go of that it can really open up possibilities to things that you could not even have imagined i would have never guessed in medical school that this is where i would have been now so i think the sooner you can take those pieces of advice with you the better off you'll be in the long term wow okay so that was actually the last of the questions so once again thank you so much dr rankings for your time and information and we are sure all your tips and information will will help and impact our listeners for the future and we hope you will have a wonderful rest of your day thank you so thank you so much dr rankings and we really appreciate you well thank you for having me bye okay bye-bye take care bye you too thank you